We're glad you're here and uh, we pray and hope that you had a great time celebrating the birth of our Savior, uh, celebrating the end of uh, the old year and, and now a new year. Uh, perhaps all of your uh, ambitions, all of your dreams weren't for fulfilled in 2019 and I'm here to tell you that they probably won't be in 2020 either. What we can count on is the goodness of God and with gratitude that God has given us another year. Uh, over the holidays I saw a, a, a photo, a picture of a, an older man and, and woman walking down the, the street hand in hand with her canes and they were just kind of shuffling along and the, the wife looked up at her husband and said, dear, what do you want for Christmas? And he said, I want one more Christmas with you. I thought that was pretty good, huh? Uh, all right, let's get rid of the sentimental stuff now. But, but it is true. It's, it's, it's true that you're thankful that God, in his grace and his mercy, has enabled you to survive 2019. And in his grace and in his plan, he's allowed you to begin another year. And you've begun well. Now, I don't know if you're a resolution-making kind of person. I'm not so much when it comes to resolutions. Someone has defined resolution as a decision that you probably won't keep and you will soon forget. And as we know, that's true with many of our, our resolutions. So I'm not going to ask you today to make resolutions. I will ask you to consider seriously today how you will live your life in 2020. You survived 2019, but did you thrive in 2019? That is, did you thrive? Did you grow spiritually? And God may bless you in other ways in this year, but if you thrive economically, if you thrive educationally, or in any way, other way, but you do not thrive spiritually, then you risk wasting this year. You know, the older you get, you, you realize that you're on the other side of how many years you have left. I don't know if it's an age thing where you begin thinking about it more, but we all should be taking time to really do an audit of our lives. To look at our lives, to look at what God has done for us, to look at those areas that perhaps we've neglected or that we've excused. And we should ask God what he might finally either remove from our lives or some things that he needs to bring to life. I think it's good to look back over the last year. As long as you don't stay there in regret. It's over. It's done. You can't change it. But it is good to think about it. If only to prepare us for living more faithfully this year for Christ. Investing ourselves more in the work of Jesus Christ. 
And it's good to think about this year as long as you don't create unrealistic expectations about what you're going to accomplish this year. So I don't know how you're entering 2020. You may be entering this year with a past year of spiritual lethargy and defeat. There's no quick fix for that this morning, but there is hope. You may be entering 2020 with a past year of spiritual growth, victorious living, experiencing God's blessing on your life. But for that to be continue to continue, you need to know that there's going to be new challenges to face. There are going to be new enemies to defeat. Whatever your situation is this morning, your defeat in 2019 does not prevent you from entering and living in 2020 restored in fellowship with God and with his people. And your spiritual success doesn't count for what God expects of you and wants you to do in 2020. It doesn't matter how many New Year's you've seen. Some of us have seen more than others. There's always more to be done. And what we're going to see in our text today is that God is not really finished with you yet. There's a work that God wants to do in your life as a child of God. If you're not a believer, if you've entered 2020 without Christ as Savior, then that's the first step. That's the most important thing in your life, that you know Christ. You know him as Savior and you know him as Lord. So I'm going to read today from Philippians chapter 3. It's a great text for the New Year's. I've preached on this before. I rearrange things a little bit. I change the title. I rework it. And I ask God to bless my heart with it and, and remind me of what he's doing in my life. Philippians chapter 3, I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. We'll touch on some of the earlier verses perhaps later where Paul talks about his uh, background, his, his uh, spiritual heritage and his accomplishments and his prestige and his place of influence. He's going to talk about all of that in the first six verses in order to counter the false teaching of a group that we call Judaizers who, who were trying to bring Christians under the law of Moses. So Paul's countering a lot of things here. But we want to focus on verses 7 to 14. And that's where I'll begin reading. Paul said, but whatever, I, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. That I may know him 
and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forth to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. At this time of year, many Christians are challenged to think about how they will live in the new year. Maybe read my Bible more, maybe go to church more, be more faithful in giving. And the question is often asked, how would we live our lives if we knew that this was our last year? I really don't know how to respond to that. I really don't personally think of it in that capacity. I don't want to think, well, this might be my last year, so I got to do everything. I got a bucket list and I got to, I got to get everything right and ready. I think for the Christian, what's more important than what's going to happen this year is how should I live today? How do I live my life day by day? Because we can't predict the future. We don't know what God is going to do in our lives. And every day, every day is a gift from God. A gift that we should cherish. And this past year, this past year had some surprises, didn't it? Some of your loved ones pass into the presence of the Lord. Some of our friends and loved ones were stricken with life-threatening illnesses. Some of you had serious health problems. And this year may be no different. So I'm not really trying to live my life as if this is my last year on earth. I want us to think about living our lives day by day for the glory of God. Whatever God has for us. And that in our daily walk with the Lord, that we treasure also the community of believers. Realizing that God never meant for us to live our lives in isolation. He never meant it to be God and you and no one else. God's brought us together as a family, a family of believers. And when you look at the Word of God and you look at Paul's life, you look at what, what God did in him, how he transformed his life, then you realize you can't focus on Christ and remain unchanged. It's impossible. And you can't love God with all your heart and hold on to all of your idolatry. 
God wants to transform our lives and it's a process that continues until the day of Christ whether he calls us home or he returns. It's not done yet. We're going to see at the end Paul says, I press on, I press on. A man who's been faithful for years, for decades, preaching and in prison and suffering. And he comes to the end of his life and he says, I'm pressing on, I'm pursuing, there's more to do. Do you realize that today or, or do you think everything's gone pretty, pretty good in your life? That you've arrived at, at some level where there's not much more for God to do. Paul was actually combating some of the false teaching of his day that is true in our day. A kind of perfectionism where I, I, I've, I've arrived, I mean, I've, I've made it, and think how, things are good, good, things are good with me and God, and yeah, it's good. But there's no growth. There's no depth. It remains at the surface. So as we look at this scripture, these scriptures this morning, I want you to think about your part in what God is doing in your lives. I mean, we know it's of God. We, we know that God is the one who grows us. We know it's God's grace. We know it's, it's God's spirit in us. But we don't, we don't sit back passively. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 10 said, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace that was bestowed on me was not in vain. But he says, I labored. I worked. I worked harder than others. But not I. But the grace of God who was, which was in me. That's the tension that we, we live with. That's the tension that we feel. It is God. It's all of God. But it's all of God working in our lives to transform us. And he demands, he, he, he requires a response. There's effort on our part. If you want to read the Bible more, pray more, and everybody wants to do that. How many want to read the Bible more this year? Say, me. me. Or I. <laughs> Everybody wants to read the Bible more if they're a Christian. Everybody wants to pray more. I want to pray more. But it's, not, it's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen without disciplining ourselves to do these things. Taking the time. Making the time. For some Christians, it may mean less time on Facebook. Checking all the notifications and the updates. And maybe less time in front of the television. It might be more consistent attendance at church servicing services. Many of these areas of our lives begin to resolve themselves when we obey the words of Jesus Christ who said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. God will take care of your life. But seek these things first. When the Apostle Paul encountered Jesus Christ, it changed everything. It changes us. It puts our past, our present, and our future in perspective. And these are realities which bring renewal and spiritual refreshment in your life. 
And I, I, I wonder this morning, I wonder what would it look like, what our church family might look like if all of us covenanted with God to pursue what Paul talks about in this passage. And I'm going to high, he talks about a lot of things. It's a very deep, very complex passage. But I'd like to highlight three truths for each child of God to commit himself and herself to this morning. The first one is you need to grasp the incomparable value of belonging to Jesus Christ. Belonging to him, the value of what it means to be a child of God. And when we look at this text, as I said in the first six verses, we see Paul's heritage. We see his ancestry. We see his accomplishments. We see that he made religious choices that were consistent with his background. But now he sees what he has in Christ and he says in verse 7, but whatever was gained for me, whatever I had achieved, whatever I had inherited, whatever accomplishments, whatever influence, he said, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Paul valued his relationship, his union with Jesus Christ above all things. And when you go through here, it's like he, he, he builds on that. In verse 7 he says, whatever gain. And then in verse 8 he says, indeed I count everything as loss. And then if that wasn't enough, he goes on and he says in, in the second part of verse 8, for his sake I've suffered the loss of all things. He said there was loss, I lost it. This is conversion. Conversion is reckoning that old life, that life without Christ, what you've accomplished without Christ, as dead. And Paul saw that having Christ changed everything, changed how he evaluated life, how he lived life, what priorities he had in life. When we come to see, come to Christ, there's something radical that should take place. God doesn't save us to, to leave us as we were. I love singing that, that, that invitation song we used to sing for years in, in different churches, just as I am without one plea. And that is a wonderful truth. That is how God accepts us, just as we are. Thankfully, he doesn't leave us there. He begins a work in our lives and there is loss and there, there is death. There's loss of what we considered valuable. And there's new life in Christ. And Paul now talks about Christ and he says, yes, I lost. I lost everything. I lost my position. I lost my influence. I lost any, any religious authority. But I have Christ. 
He said, Christ is my gain. And when you look at these verses, it's, it's, it's beautiful how Paul weaves this together in verse 7. He talks about the progression. How Paul now is understanding his conversion. He says, it was for the sake of Christ. In verse 8, he says, for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. At the end of verse 8, he says, in order to gain Christ. And verse 9, he says, to be found in Christ. Paul looks at everything that he has in Jesus Christ and he understands those words that Jesus spoke for what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his own soul or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul Paul said I count everything but loss at the end of verse 8 he says I count them as rubbish. All those things that he had considered to be spiritual assets that he talked about in the first six verses, born of the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee, the Pharisee, uh, obedient to the law, blameless when it came to observing the law. He says all of that, he said, I considered it as rubbish. Now, I guess I'm used to the old King James. If any of you were schooled in the King James Version, you know that, that the word there is translated dung. Of course, a lot of people don't know what dung is today. Or manure. Let's use it, the word manure. So I, I still have in my mind this word dung. It's hard for me to go from dung to rubbish. But whatever comes to your mind, the, the idea here is not simply revulsion at, at dung, because even manure has its place in the fields. It's really the idea of worthlessness. That whatever we have apart from Christ, whatever we've done apart from Christ, has no value. Isaiah 64, 6 tells us that we have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. It's not a question of denying our heritage or even human achievements as such. The problem is whenever we elevate anything, anything that we are, anything that we possess, anything that we've achieved, and we elevate those things which blind us to the need of God's grace in our lives, or we, we count on them, we depend on them for our standing before God. And the Bible wants us to understand that apart from Christ, your background, it's dung. Your education and achievements, dung. Your work accomplishments, dung. Your bank accounts, dung. Or rubbish, if you prefer. Sounds a little more sophisticated, but I like the word dung. I got to tell you. But what we see here is that the 
believers in Jesus Christ. That we begin, you begin where everyone else begins. Regardless of your past, whether it was relatively a good past or bad past or whatever your past was, we all begin at the same place as sinners in the need, uh, in need of God's redeeming grace. So we all start off at the same place and we continue as everyone else continues as saved sinners in need of God's daily grace. Now, when we understand this, this should remove all arrogance, which it doesn't, but it should, and any sense of superiority. That when we are found in Christ, when Christ is our gain, when we understand that the divine response to our earthly accomplishments apart from Christ is, so what? I mean, I don't see that God actually said it in those words, but all, all that you've done, all that you've accomplished... The work of your hands, your intelligence, your education. You come to God with that and God says, it's without value. So what? And God in turn offers you his very best. He offers his son. So the Bible teaches us how to count. You don't need a calculator for this. Paul says at least three times here, verse 7, he says, I have counted or considered. Verse 8, twice he says, I've counted. And sometimes we just need to do that math. We need to reflect on that. We need to return to that. We need to count once again what was lost when we came to Christ and not try to take it back. Because Paul says that we continue to count all things lost in relation to the worth of being in Christ. Found in him, what Paul says, is compared to I have lost everything. Ah, you've lost everything. But now you're in Christ. You are found in him. And you have all things in Christ. Paul understands that now that he is in union with Christ, he is not depending on his ancestry. He's not, not depending on his spiritual heritage. He's not depending on his intellectual achievements. Because now he understands that he has the righteousness of Christ. He has been declared righteous in Jesus Christ. That, now that, that's a glorious truth. I mean, that was a truth that, that set off the Reformation in the 16th century. That we are declared justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. Not by works, by grace alone. 
Now, one of the words that we often use to describe that is what we call imputation. Now, I know that's a word that just makes you want to go, what, 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 what? Imputation. I mean, there, there's theological terms sometimes, and it's good to learn them. And imputation simply means that God places on our account the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He considers us righteous because he sees us through the sacrifice of his son. And so when we say that God imputes righteousness, God gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ in order for us to be accepted before God. He declares that we're not guilty. It does not mean that we are yet completely righteous in all of our actions and all of our behaviors and in all of our thoughts. That's the process. But that process can never begin without that initial work of God saying, you're not guilty. You're not liable for your sin. You will not suffer for your sin. You will not suffer my wrath because Jesus died in your place for your sin and he suffered your penalty. <sighs> then we can begin. Then we can begin for the Holy Spirit in us to live the life that God wants us to live. We're, now we are in union with Christ. We are found in him. We need to understand that. I don't care how many years you've been saved. You need to come back to that truth over and over again. The incomparable value. How important is it to you today that Christ sacrificed his life in order that you might be alive in him today. Paul understood that. Secondly, we find in this text that you need to experience a deepening relationship and fellowship with Christ. You're here today as a child of God, you're saved. You, you, you know Christ is saved. You can say, yes, I can check that box. I'm saved. But Paul said... He said, I want to know him. He said in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death. Now, when you come to know Christ as Savior, you really do know him. You know him as Savior. But it's just the beginning. Salvation, that, that initial declaration of justification, is then followed by what we call sanctification. That's God's progressive work. That's the work that's never done. That's the work that, that is conforming us more and more to the image of Christ. And when we, when we have those moments of reflection and honesty and begin to probe our own hearts, we realize how much more there is to do. Looking to that day, and Paul looks to that day, he looks to what we call glorification in the future. He looks to that day when there will be perfection in the presence of Almighty God. 
Paul says, I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. And, and this power, this power isn't simply for Paul's, uh, Paul's advancement in life. It's not for his improvement. It's not to, to simply make him a better person or more successful person or more prosperous person. Because the power of the resurrection that we know goes hand in hand with the participation in the sufferings of, of Jesus Christ that we are unashamed to identify with him to be called his people. So in this relationship that is deepening with Christ, it's, it's not merely intellectual. Although we don't despise learning. If, if you're here for any length of time at, at Grace Church, uh, you're going to hear about theology. Because true theology, biblical theology, that gives us more of an intellectual understanding of who God is, should penetrate our hearts and our emotions and, and every aspect of our being, that this knowledge just doesn't stay in, in a compartment up there and, oh yeah, I know all these things. But God wants us to experience that in our daily life. So here at Grace Church, you will hear theology. You will hear the great teachings of the Bible. You'll often be introduced to terms and, and concepts that you haven't heard before. Sometime, you might say, there are some things Pastor John said that I don't understand. Well, that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, grasping Scripture, going deeper into the Word of God is not something that we just, you know, get just sitting by and, and no, there's some things that, that are going to be said here in the pulpit sometimes and hopefully we explain ourselves well or as well as possible but there's some things that we don't always grasp at first. They might go I don't get that. Well, that's when you come to Grace Group, by the way. And we get to talk about that a little bit more. I mean, really, that, that's one of the reasons we come together during the week is, is to look at those things. And again, you, you don't have pastors here who try to impress you with big words and, oh, the Greek says this and the, and the Hebrew says this and the Aramaic says this. And if you knew those languages, you'd be as smart as I am. No, no that, that's, that's really, that's not our goal. But there are truths that take time to work their way into your life. And there's nothing wrong with improving our vocabulary either, is there? There's more to learn. But it all should be pointing to Jesus Christ. And again, Paul is expanding here on verse 8 when he talks about the incomparable value of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. If it's incomparable, then it's something that he hasn't completed yet. You can't compare it with anything else. There's really, there's really more than we can ever grasp People sometimes ask about eternity. Well, once we get to heaven, then, then we'll understand it all. Uh, I don't think so. Uh, you see, God is way more glorious, far more majestic than 
not only what we can comprehend now, but what we can ever comprehend. We will never be God to understand God as who God is. So in eternity, don't be surprised where you're still learning, you're still understanding. And right now is a great time to be starting and preparing for that. So we come to experience the power that raised Jesus from the dead. And without going into great detail here, when you think about that, the, the life-giving power of God, that power that reached into the tomb and made that Jesus Christ went from death to life. It's that power of God working in, in us when we were dead in our trespasses and sin and God worked in us and brought us in a moment from death to life. That is the power of God that is at work in our lives. Paul said in verse 11, and he gives us here just a little bit of a caution. When he says in verse 11, he says, or verse 11, he closes this section and says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, some people read this at times and, and believe that Paul's expressing some doubt about Paul, either the manner that he attains this or, or his humility uh, about assurance of his salvation. What I understand here, when we take other scripture together, is that there is no doubt in Paul's mind about the Savior's power to keep him until the day of salvation. It's more a warning against complacency, against a false assurance. And that's what we see in this text. We see that we need to avoid spiritual complacency or triumphalism that I've already made it. And here's where Paul says in verse, verse 12, he says, I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. The only way that I can pursue God's calling in my life and live in obedience to the word of God, I can do it because Jesus Christ already made me his own so that I belong to him. Now that I belong to him, I'm able to live for him. So God's word gives us complete assurance of our salvation. What God's word does not give us is, is presumption. Is presumption when someone says, well, you know, I prayed the prayer. Well, that's good. You prayed the prayer. Uh, I, I'm, I got baptized. Well, that's good. You should get baptized. I'm a member of a church. Oh, that's good. Good. You, you should be a member of a church. But are you living for Jesus Christ? Is there evidence? Not evidence of perfection. But is there evidence of conviction in your life? Is there evidence that there's repentance, there's ongoing repentance in your life? Is there evidence that there is progress in your life? 
if, if you claim to be a Christian and, and then you cut and run never to return because you've been disappointed with God or, or you, you've been hurt by Christians and say, oh, I don't believe that stuff anymore. There are times in your life that you should have doubts about your relationship with God. Which could be a good thing if it leads you to genuine assurance and repentance. And the longer you are saved and walk with Christ, the more you realize the depths of your own depravity, there will be a, a, a growing work of gratitude in your life. And if there's no growth, then there should be a question whether there is life. Now again, I'm not trying to get anyone to the place this morning to doubt their salvation unless it really needs to be doubted. Unless you're really not saved. Certainly, we don't want you to leave here at any time with a false assurance because you did certain things. Is there evidence in the ongoing work of God in your life, are you pressing on? You haven't arrived there yet. Nobody has. So if you're looking for perfection, don't look up here at the pulpit. Don't look here in the first row. It's, it's, you're not going to find it here in any of our lives. But do you have that deep desire in your heart to please Christ? Yes, there's failures. And that's why Paul says, forget those things which are behind. Not that we can always put them out of our mind, but, but don't live there. Don't, don't let it keep repeating. Oh, I failed, I failed, I failed. Okay. You're not alone. But don't stay there. Forgetting those things which are behind. Paul says, reach forth. God's given you a new year. You're, you're still alive. You're alive in Christ. Paul says, I'm pressing on, I'm pressing on because one day I'm going to stand complete in the presence of God because of Jesus Christ. Because I'm confident that he who has begun this good work in me will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Do you have that confidence today? Do you know that? If you know that, then will you live that? in this new year. This year could be a new new year for you. It could be an old new year. It could be a year like the other years. Or it could really be a new year. If you begin to grasp the incomparable value of Jesus Christ, not just this morning, but day by day, you understand what it means to be found in Christ, to be in union with him. And you don't allow yourself to get caught up in that, in that complacency, thinking that you, you've kind of made it, you're good with God. If you're good with God, you're good with God because of Jesus. Because of what he's done. What we do out of our lives and in and, 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 and our progress and our growth, this is not to obtain our salvation. We live, we serve, we give out of a heart of gratitude. I'm glad I'm saved. I'm glad after all these years I'm saved, not because I kept myself, but because God kept me by his own power. 
Last week I was looking back over some photos from 1988 that my brother John sent me. There are photos from 1998, 1988 when he visited me in France with, a, with one of his associates and Pastor Schroeder was there and, and a couple others and looking at those pictures from over 30 years ago. You know what came to my heart? You know what really struck me? It wasn't that I had hair back then and don't now. Okay. That, that wasn't it. I mean, that's obvious. What struck me is that 30 years later, God is still faithful. And I look at the men in those photos, and I look at my brother John, I look at his associate, uh, Steve Brown, who called me after he saw that. I hadn't heard from him for years and called me. He served in the Lord as a pastor in Michigan. And seeing Pastor Schroeder, he'll always be Pastor Schroeder to me, and seeing that God is faithful. Child of God this morning, I don't know what God needs to do in your life. But I do know that he will respond to your call. If you come to him this morning and say, Lord, 2019, yeah, Lord, it was really about me, not about you. Then repent of that. And ask God to change, to transform your perspective, your desires, your activities. Is it all going to happen in 2020? Probably not. But today's a good place to start, isn't it? Let's pray. Let's bow with our let's pray with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. As you sit here quietly and perhaps reflecting on something you heard this morning from the message or from the scripture, take a moment and talk to God. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you want to read your Bible more, because everybody that wants to do that or pray more. But today, the Spirit of God has worked in your life and convicted you. And there's repentance that needs to take place. There's sorrow for sin. And you need forgiveness. And then you need to get up and leave this place and live for Christ. Forgiven. This is a moment you can take to talk to the Lord about that. And if you're here today, you've never come to Christ as Savior. Right where you're sitting, you can simply pray a, a prayer, God, save me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I want to be your child. Gracious Father, how grateful we are today that you have not given up on us. And Father, we thank you that whatever failures and disappointments we've had in the past and whatever failures and disappointments we experience this year, we know and we pray that we can be satisfied in you. Father, we, we know that we will not always be delighted by our experiences and our circumstances. But Father, may we delight in what Christ has done for us and what he is doing in us. 
and as a community of believers living and serving. Father, may we find real joy in living the Christian life. So, Father, bring to pass in each heart and each life today what needs to be accomplished according to your will, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.